Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. This podcast is sponsored by HealthNext, the enterprise-class virtual care platform from Tech Mahindra Health and Life Sciences. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Sam Banerjee. Vice President of Digital Experience for Texas Health Resources in Dallas. San, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here, Patty. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for that. So let's start uh, with this. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role. What does the role of the VP of Digital Experience mean at THR? So my role uh, is responsible for creating seamless digital experiences for different channels through which our consumers and patients interact with us. And it also includes virtual health, which is the new dimension of care that we are embraced since last couple of years in terms of delivering care through virtual channel. So at the end of the day, my role encompasses everything that Texas Health does on the digital side, including virtual health. So just to kind of dig into that a little bit, because when I talk to health systems, the digital function sits in different parts of the organization and uh, the roles are also defined a little bit differently in each health system. So would you say your role is more focused on the marketing side of the digital experience or is it much more encompassing than that? So it is more encompassing than that. It is really thinking about the channels or the avenues through which our consumers kind of comes and interacts with us, both on the consumer experience side and the clinical side of the house. So think about this as a little more broader than just the marketing side of the house. Right. Could you share maybe one or two examples of some of the bigger programs that are within the purview of your role, just so that we get a sense of what your world looks like. Sure. So a couple of programs that and I have personally led and uh, something that we are pursuing at this point of time. One is really hospital to home program. This is an SMS text-based service for patients that are in our hospitals. And then when they go back home, we really want to follow them to their home as well so that they can reach out when they need help and on behind the scenes we have emergency physicians that are available on a tax service along with them to really provide the service so this is really trying to meet the patients where they are through a digital channel which is a sms and texting also there are programs that we are we are kind of doing at this point and we have kind of enabled many providers on the virtual channel both on the virtual consults in the hospital as well as virtual through a direct-to-consumer kind of play. That is, again, something that we are doing from a digital perspective to ensure that we are more become more and more relevant, especially in the COVID days, when we want to distribute care, uh, which is more convenient from a consumer perspective. Apart from that, we are kind of looking at where the world is going. So if you look at the digital ecosystem, 
the ecosystem comprises of things like remote patient monitoring, which is needed for chronic care management, as well as there are a lot of capabilities around care coordination that can be done in a digital way as well. So we are looking at clinical coordination through digital channels. We are looking at consumer experience interactions through digital channel better and creating those product and services so that it is more meaningful from a consumer's and patient perspective. And these all seem like uh, the sort of high value, high impact programs uh, that we are seeing other health systems investing in as well. Have you started, uh, you know, in, in the wake of COVID-19, have you started seeing a significant uh, sort of shift and a long-term shift towards virtual care models? Or do you think that some of it is going to kind of go back to a more of a of an in-person uh, kind of an experience? In other words, is this, is this a long-term shift that you're anticipating and, and proactively preparing for? Yeah, I think yes. The answer is yes. We are anticipating and preparing. We have been anticipating on this for some time now. And uh, we are, I think we, the way I'll say this is we have prepared really well because we have been working on this for a while to really ensure that we put in the right interventions that are needed to really be able to come really, really good out of this pandemic. As, as you probably know, pandemic came in and we adopted an approach of really looking at what we have in our in our toolkit to really kind of bring all those things together in service of our patients. So it was less of getting new tech from outside, but looking at the tech that we already have and try to put all those things together in the right order to be meaningful to our patients. And that's what we did. Eventually, we will probably reconcile a lot of things so that we create our end state as far as a lot of these initiatives are concerned. But the first order of business was to really create something very quickly. And I always say that when you are in a pandemic, you have to look at bringing some of the tech in a meaningful manner so that it can be created and ensure that it kind of delivers what you need at that point of time. And of course, this is uh, technology enabled without a doubt. And all of the virtual care models are going to have a significant uh, implication in terms of the technology investments making the technology work seamlessly, and so on. Let's dig into that a little bit. How does THR go about assessing your technology choices in implementing your digital programs? What do you see as the role of enterprise IT, and more specifically EHR systems, in uh, driving your digital journey and your digital roadmap at, at THR? I think it is a very integrated way of looking at this. So the enterprise IT team pretty much works very closely hand in hand with the digital team because it is a connected ecosystem if you think about it that way. So we keep in mind in terms of the EHR that we have and how does our digital kind of initiatives kind of work and operate with our EHR in the right order because that has a lot of single source of truth in many cases as well as and there are changes happening on that all the time. So we have a pure set governance in the way that we can work with the ITS team and ITS team and digital team kind of complements each other to that extent to ensure that we created a connected ecosystem. So this all this process is in service of creating a connected ecosystem, which basically starts from a consumer standpoint. It also connects all the clinical workflows that basically goes into EHR. And this is a strategy that we believe in, and we kind of bring the people in that can complement each other, both on both the digital side, which is sitting on the business side of the ITS, so that we can achieve this objective. Yeah, it's probably a, a segue into something that I was going to ask you anyway. Everyone acknowledges that healthcare has traditionally been behind other sectors when it comes to consumer engagement. And the work that we do, my firm does with health system, 
the health systems in particular seems to indicate that even within healthcare, health systems are probably a little bit behind, let's say, health plans. And, and maybe you can tell me that because you have a background in health plans as well, and we'll talk about that. But what makes it so hard to create these seamless experiences today? Is it the fragmentation of the technology solutions landscape? Is it more the fragmentation of the way the efforts are coordinated within a health system? Not speaking specifically about THR, but in general, what, what do you see as the big challenges in creating these seamless experiences that we are so used to when we talk about Amazon and Starbucks and Apple and all of that? I think it is it is a couple of things. Number one, the information sharing between between the payer and the providers. I think there's a lot of opportunity there in terms of how information gets shared. And these are two kind of worlds, and rightfully so, because that's how the whole ecosystem and the value chain really works. The second is the ability for keeping the patient outcome in mind between both the ecosystems is very important. So when you talk about connecting between a payer and a provider, it has to happen with some objective in mind. If we all keep patient outcome as an objective in mind, then obviously the integrations become a lot simpler and easier. And the third thing is that the focus on uh, value definition in terms of what value does it bring to the payer and the provider and the patient, we have to keep all those three things in perspective. And many times there is misalignment of those objectives because of either the way the incentives really work, the way the reimbursement really work, the way the claims really work across the system. So it is important that those objectives are aligned and those objective alignment, if it can be done, I think then the integrations becomes a lot more easier in terms of the payer and the provider world. And obviously, with, from a consumer perspective, they don't care whether it is a payer problem or a provider problem. They right. really want to get a service and they want the ease of service and the way it happens for them in a retail world. So... I think there are some serious conversations that are needed in terms of how those interoperability really works between payer and provider. And I think those things are already started from CMS and other other um, agencies. And I think this will become more and more better as we go by. And interoperability, of course, is uh, unfinished business. Uh, and you alluded to the CMS uh, final ruling, I believe, uh, which you know comes into effect next year. And they had to push it back uh, from this year. We've come a long way from what it used to be maybe three years ago, but there is still a lot of unfinished business when it comes to interoperability within the provider landscape. And now you're talking about provider-payer collaboration as well. What is the view like from the payer side? I know you spent many years on the payer side. What is the view like? And uh, what gives us hope today that this current uh, sort of friction, if you will, in payer-provider collaboration is headed in the right direction in terms of a resolution in, in favor of patient outcomes. Yeah, I think, Patty, I think it is it is a couple of things. One is the move towards more to the value-based care, which is more and more getting pushed by the payer side of the business, will really help active collaboration on patient outcomes. That's one dimension that I see being more and more. The second is the payers are really getting into a place where they are embracing a lot of patient engagement strategies where they want providers to participate as well, right? So creating those narrow networks, for example, where it is close interactions with the providers, ensuring that the right matrices are aligned, which needs data sharing on both sides. And also the 
payers are looking at getting more and more accustomed to doing partnership beyond their ecosystem, whether it is a health and wellness partner or any other ecosystem partner. So it is not a foreign concept of being able to share data outside their premises. So with all of that, three things that I've talked about, I think I'm becoming more and more hopeful that this will become more a more on a progressive path in terms of how we see interactions happens between the payer and the provider. And I think it will improve more and more going forward. Let's talk about the consumers themselves, right? They are the third leg in this tool, if you will. Based on all the research that you do as part of your role, how are consumers perceiving the shift towards virtual? Do you see differences between demographics or parts of your own areas served? How are consumers responding to to this sort of dramatic shift, if you will, towards the virtualization of care? Are they ready for it? Do they appreciate it? I will say that the adoption of those kind of care delivery mechanisms is increasing day by day, right? I think patients and consumers are kind of, because of COVID-19 or the pandemic at this point of time, I think the acceptance of new care delivery venues have definitely increased. I will also say that it is also a uh, mixed bag. There are consumers that can adopt this pretty quickly, and there are consumers who really like to go back to an office setting. Right. So and this is purely consumer preference at this point of time. But percentage of people that have adopted virtual really well and keeping themselves safe by staying out of offices is definitely um, definitely a very positive percentage from an increased standpoint. And I see that going more and more. And I think it is also letting consumers to shift their preferences as well. So I go back to that example of Apple. Right. When Apple brought their phone, nobody knew how to use it. So Apple trained people to use the phone. It's the same, virtual will follow the same path. So people will get trained to use a different delivery mechanism or delivery or care mechanism, which is virtual in this case, and people will get trained more and more. And once they get more and more trained, the acceptance will go uh, as well, go high as well, because now they know how to use it. They will become more comfortable with it and also influence other people to adopt as well. And the training aspect of it applies on the caregiver side as well, right? I mean, from everything that, that I've seen uh, as part of our work, implementing a telehealth technology and expecting everyone to use it, it's just yeah, not very realistic because you have to, you know, there's a whole bunch of protocols to get on, you know, a virtual care platform, to initiate contact, to make sure that both parties have access to the tool and they're coming on at the same time. And then training caregivers to be able to use the platform. There's a lot of work behind the scenes that sort of gets missed in this in this whole uh, discussion around, hey, uh, the technology is cool, you know, why didn't we do this before? But then there's so much heavy lift that happens in the background. Is that a fair statement? That is a very fair statement, yes. That is a very fair statement. And that is what is happening on the ground at this point in terms of how consumers are interacting and behaving at this point. So when we talk about consumers and uh, their adoption rates for telehealth or virtual care models, you know, the term that often gets mentioned is digital front doors. That is kind of your world. Uh-huh. So if we talk about digital front doors, so firstly, you know, how do you define the term digital front doors? Because I hear different definitions, although everyone uses the term. And what do you think are maybe the top two or three sort of high impact engagement opportunities in a digital front door program in, in your experience and your view? Yeah, so the way I, I define digital front door is a kind of a access mechanism 
that consumers really can come through, whether it is a known known consumer, unknown consumer, and um, through our through that particular channel or the door, and basically get access to the services that they are looking for. And I think the key perspective in digital front door is to ensure that whatever services and whatever conditions that any health system or a provider really can service, they are all available in there in terms of how consumers are going to use it. So this is more from a consumer standpoint than a provider standpoint. Typically, most of the provider groups and even health systems, they put out things which are primarily a reflection of what services that they have. So if you put your lens in terms of looking from a consumer perspective, you have a very different definition to it. So digital front door is all about managing or balancing that consumer point of view of what they're looking from an access standpoint and matching that with what providers really can provide and creating that seamless experience. And the part two of your question was, what is the most important thing from a digital front door? The most important thing from a digital front door in my mind is the ability for somebody to schedule an appointment and basically providing them the access to the provider that they are looking to really get, right? In a very easy way in a consumer terms, right? And consumer terms can be defined as different types of consumers you have. And based on that, it is not a one size fit all. So you are now creating this a la carte set of services that you have to create to really address all the consumers so that they can get access to the providers. That's the base minimum thing that you need to have in your consumer front door to be able to be relevant to your consumers. So find a doctor, make your payment online, schedule the appointment, all of that happens very, very seamlessly. And then potentially you actually even do the consult through a telehealth platform. Is that kind of what you're referring to? That is correct. Yeah, and that is, you know, that kind of lines up too with what what we're seeing. And of course, I think COVID-19 as a black swan event has uh, accelerated the the adoption of these modalities for both consumers and uh, healthcare providers alike. And, you know, it was coming along at a certain pace, but it looks like it has accelerated. And people tell me that what was supposed to happen over the next five years, it suddenly got compressed to a five-month so sort of time frame. Is, is that the experience you went through at THR as well, or were you already well ahead of the curve and you didn't really have to kind of bend over backwards to, to make these, to stand up these capabilities? No, that's the exact experience we went through. That's the exact experience we went through. So we probably achieved so much in the first 90 days that we have not achieved in the last three years. So wow. we, just to give you just some examples here, we completed 100,000 virtual visits starting March and ending in August. 100,000 virtual visits and everything was created. More than 2,000 providers was onboarded. All this happened within 90 days. How did this compare with the same period with last year? I'm just curious. I know the numbers are going to be you know, wild, but I'm just curious. Last year, it was pretty non-existent, right? We did not have a lot of virtual visits last year. Like it was in tens and hundreds, right? Compared to 100,000 that we did this year. Wow, that is a wild story. Mm-hmm. The funny part is that uh, you're not alone. It, lo- it looks like many health systems across the country went through that exact same experience. And all of a sudden, their worlds have transformed completely over the last six months or so. 
So switching topics here, let's talk a little bit about the competitive landscape for healthcare services, right? And I just want your views on what's going on with your own marketplace. You know, we have a number of non-traditional players that uh, includes non-traditional traditional enterprises. So I'm talking Walgreens, Walmart, those kinds of entities that are suddenly you know, making a bigger play in the, let's say, the primary care space. And then you've got technology firms that are kind of getting into this uh, space in their own ways. Uh, examples of that being, you know, Microsoft's partnership with uh, Epic, for instance, to launch telehealth visits uh, from right inside Microsoft Teams, which was announced uh, just a couple of days ago. You know, things like that. And then you've got Apple and Amazon, everyone making their own play. What is your general assessment in terms of what that implies for health systems, such as THR, in terms of, you know, changing the way you engage with your patients? And do you think that uh, the primary care pie is going to get kind of redistributed among a, a broader set of participants that goes well beyond, you know, traditional health systems? Well, I think definitely that's a, the way I look at it is that is definitely a market dynamics and a pressure in terms of how the market is going to change. Obviously, all these new players bring in new dimensions and skills into the market. Obviously, the way I look at this is that there is little, there will be a lot more fragmentation in terms of how the services will be provided to the patients and which has a good and a bad side. And the good side is fragmentation leads to, you know, create, not being able to create seamless experiences. But the good side is it creates a lot of cost pressures, which can be a lot of cost pressures on the, on the traditional players, which can be really better on a payer and a consumer side. So I think it is a pretty real thing in terms of how some of these players can disrupt. But again, it is also in terms of how they are able to bring in some of those skills that can help integrate some of the services that is being talked about to really be having a meaningful impact on the existing markets. And I think there is there will be a shift in terms of more in terms of how convenient care, value-based care are going to be uh, structured in the marketplace. And some of these players may have a higher advantage because they are coming into the business with pretty less overheads in terms of how they are structured. So it will be interesting to really see how things shape up over a period of time. But at this point of time, it is a real market dynamics, which we are all looking at. We're coming up to the end of our time here. And and I wanted to touch on one more topic in your role. I'm sure you get calls from a lot of innovative startups that have built tools that can help you improve your patient engagement and patient experience, specifically from a digital front door standpoint. I have a two-part question here. The first part of the question is, do you look at your EHR as your default platform first before you look outside for a tool that could perform a certain functionality? That is my first question. And the second question is, what is your advice to uh, startups that have a have an innovative tool that can improve your patient experience and want to do business with you? What is your advice to companies like that? When should they come to you and how should they go about engaging with you? Great questions. So the answer to the first question is, yes, we, we look at the EHR to start with. And many times we know the answers. So we, we preemptively know the answers. 
And many times, many things are not addressed by the EHR because the way EHRs are set up from a business perspective. And we look at either point solutions that really can bring what we are looking for or solutions that can integrate with the EHR to deliver what we are looking for. That's the kind of approach we use. In terms of my advice to any startup, I think healthcare is not just tech. It has people and process. I think whenever somebody is thinking about a product, which is primarily a tech product, you also have to think about those two dimensions as well. A good product in my mind, which is meaningful for a provider like us, is a product which really has thought through all the three dimensions and holistically kind of connects everything together to really kind of deliver the value that we need. Otherwise, it becomes a tech product. It is, it cannot be integrated. And there's a longer lead time to sell and stuff like that. So that will be my advice. And healthcare is a people-based business. And it is very important to understand how tech enables this business where you have to keep the people and process in mind. All right, that's well said. In fact, uh, one of the things that I, I tell people in, in, as a part of our work is, Digital transformation is IT enabled, but it's not an IT project. It's not necessarily IT led either. And uh, you know, someone told me one of the one of the CIOs I talked to, digital transformation is like eighty percent people, fifteen percent process, and maybe five percent tech. And that's kind of what you, you essentially said. And they put numbers on it, but directionally, those are the two important dimensions. And the tech is almost easy in comparison. Is that uh, something you would agree with? That I agree with, yes, absolutely. Fantastic. San, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and uh, your experience. And wow, 100,000 visits in 90 days, going up from zero to 100,000, that must have been a that must have been a wild experience. And uh, I'm sure that experience alone puts you in a really, really strong place you know, for the future. All the very best to, to you and your team and, and the work that you're doing, we'll be following very closely. And maybe we'll get back together and talk about it another six months from now. That sounds great, Patty. And I think really appreciate you kind of reaching out and always pleasure talking to you. And uh, thanks for sharing this. And as I said, if there is any questions that comes out, if anyone wants to reach out, I can be reached at uh, LinkedIn. Sand Manager is the LinkedIn. And my Twitter handle is Banerjee underscore, underscore Sand. Thank you. Again. Awesome. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions.